Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld, where we're continuing our new series, To the King, today with a message entitled, In Praise of the Almighty. So let's turn in our Bibles again to Psalm chapter 147 as we join Dr. Newfeld now. There are a great many people who simply can't be thankful or filled with praise after they have encountered hardship when they're suffering. And if that's you, I'm going to say that's especially true if you're partially to blame for your own suffering. Let's say you committed adultery, your marriage is over. Your kids want nothing to do with you. You're alone now, your loneliness is crushing. But the Lord assures you that after you have confessed your sins that he has forgiven you. Christ has suffered for your sins, and he who is all-knowing is determined now never to count your sins against you again. You are a fully accepted child of the living God. But still, you might say, I'm alone, and it's hard to lift my voice in praise to God. You long to lift your voice and shout your praise and loyalty, but the sadness you feel and your pain and the shame you still struggle with has quieted your voice and you can't imagine seeing the joy of worship. Yesterday, I began to discuss Psalm 147. It's a wonderful psalm inviting God's people to remember the glorious deeds of the Lord. But I also made the point that this psalm was written after Israel came back from their exile in Babylon. The experience of being defeated by the Babylonians, the the suffering of their nation, and the humbling circumstances that attended their return, it made praise difficult. And so if you can identify with that, that on the one hand, you know that God loves you, and on the other hand, you're still feeling the consequences of your sin, well, this psalm is for you. Let's begin by reading the first six verses. Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Now, I see in the first section of this psalm a command. No matter your circumstances, if you want to be lifted and if you want to be known as a man or a woman who is loyal to his or her God, do this. Make it a habit to deliberately praise your God. That's what we find in verse 1. And it's an imperative. It's a command. Praise the Lord. It says, just do it. Did you notice that? We who are urged to praise and worship are also commanded to do it. The last five psalms in the book of Psalms all start the same way. Praise the Lord, all of them command. Praise is not urged on us, it is commanded of all the people of God. Now you might say, well, how can the Bible, and for that matter, the God of heaven command praise? I mean, after all, praise, at least so it seems to many of us, is either spontaneous or it comes at the discretion of the person praising. Commanded praise seems contrived and not legitimate. And so how can we be commanded to praise in any way so that praise is genuine? Hope you see the problem. So what is the answer? Well, years ago, I read C.S. Lewis' reflection on the Psalms, and he gave me an insight I'd never seen before. So let me read part of what he said. He said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. 
It is its appointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is, to come suddenly at a turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in a ditch, to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. Now, that seems right. That is to say, you simply can't enjoy what you don't express. And so, as Psalm 37 verse 4 commands that we are to delight ourselves in the Lord, and it's impossible to do that without expressing praise. And what else is praise but a description of that which we enjoy, that which we find lovely, that which satisfies the heart, or that for which we are grateful? I mean, who celebrates Thanksgiving without expressing not just that for which we are thankful, but also to whom we are thankful? But let me read Lewis further. Having made the point that no one truly enjoys until they express the joy, Lewis then says, fully to enjoy anything is to glorify that thing. So in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. And so to the returning Israelite exiles who have suffered for their sins, God says, praise the Lord. That is to say, enjoy me, be delighted in me. Do it verbally expressing your praise. So let's be clear. God doesn't need our worship. I mean, after all, God does not have a problem with low self-esteem, as if he needs our praise to help bolster him. God needs nothing from us. All the commands of God given to us are not for God's good, they're for our good. God, in inspiring the 147th Psalm, wanted to teach his beaten-down people to be happy again and to find delight. He also knew that there is no higher delight than to delight in him. And so out of concern for his suffering people, he commands them, praise God. Notice the three reasons that are given for worship. First, it is good or righteous. Look again at verse 1. For it is good to sing praises to our God. To do worship is to do good. Second, from verse 1, it is pleasant. That is, it lifts the spirit. It fills the heart with joy again. And that's especially true of those whose hearts have been heavy for a very long time. And if that's you, and you've been beaten down, and you remember that once you did have joy, and now it's been taken away, this, this thing called praise, is what you so desperately need. And third, still in verse 1, it is fitting. That means it's appropriate. Let me suggest an example. Drunkards swear and fight. Thieves break into houses. Con men lie. And believers in Jesus praise. We all of us do things that are fitting for us to do. And praise, my dear friend, is fitting for you. How many beaten down believers could be helped by learning how to worship and then simply worshiping for a while? Perhaps just expressing to God the beauty of his attributes, his love, his power, his wisdom, his grace, his justice, his mercy on the guilty. But we might also worship simply by singing. And here I would suggest that we sing that which is theologically true. I don't mean vague emotionalism, but rather concrete truth about God. Sing songs like, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. 
or sing, what love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, my sins they are many, his mercy is more. That's where the psalm begins. It commands the brokenhearted to make a habit of praising. What will that accomplish? Look carefully now at verses 2 to 6. Notice first that we praise because it is God who builds up Jerusalem. Yeah, the exiles who came back rebuilt the ruined city. But do you remember Psalm 127 verse 1? It said, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And don't you see that nothing can be accomplished unless our king determines that our work shall succeed. And so the exiles in Psalm 147 were called upon to remember that God will build Jerusalem up again. And then the Lord gathers the outcasts out of their exile. After 70 years in exile, these people were outcasts. And the nations who saw these outcasts come back were determined to make sure that Israel would always be outcasts. And yet where others rejected them, God accepted them. They were not outcasts in his presence. And you, my dear friend, who have been rejected by others because of your own sin, but you have come to God in confession, your God, through the blood of Christ his Son, welcomes you home like a prodigal and says to you, my son and my daughter, you belong. You will never be an outcast before me. You know, then we're told that the Lord will heal the brokenhearted. The brokenhearted here refer to, I think, two different categories. They are those who, number one, grieve over their own sins. And number two, they are those who grieve because of the wounds that they now bear. And all of us who know Christ know of these experiences. And the reason we praise is that God heals the brokenhearted. That is, that which is broken is made whole again in his presence. Now, that's not a bad place for starting praise. But until we articulate, until we express, until we verbalize, until we praise, we will not know joy. And so a God who loves you, knowing what you need, commands you, praise him. Everyone knows about the physical world, but what about the spiritual one? This is the world that isn't typically accessible through our five senses, but is just as real. In his latest series, The Invisible War, Dr. John Neufeld dives into the spiritual world, highlighting that it's an arena of great struggle, but also an expression of God's glory. This August, we want to express our gratitude for entrusting us with your gracious support. Your generosity allows us to participate together in sharing the gospel. That's why, for the month of August, we want to give you a free copy of Dr. John Neufeld's latest series, The Invisible War, on CD. So call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca and ask for your free copy of The Invisible War today. That's 1-800-663-2425 or backtothebible.ca. The words at the beginning of Psalm 147 sound so much like the words of Hosea 6 verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. 
Do you know that if God has chosen to discipline you, that is, to use hardship in your life to shape your character and to maximize your eternal joy, that he will also, if he has deemed it wisdom to wound you, he will also heal you. We find that theme in Lamentations. Remember, Psalm 147 is written when the exiles came back, but Lamentations was written when the Babylonians sacked Jerusalem and at a time when Israel was being wounded. And yet in the midst of the wound, we hear the words from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 31 to 33. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. That is, when God knows out of his boundless treasure of both love and wisdom that you must walk through the valley of affliction, you must also know that God doesn't rub his hands in glee as if to say, you know, you deserve this and now I'm getting you. And furthermore, if and when God leads you through the valley of suffering, know that it is not his intention to cast you off forever. He's not rejecting you, child of God. His his heart aches for you even while he has led you into that valley. Your suffering does come from his hand for a purpose that far exceeds the greatest delight we can imagine. But God also knows that when hearts are broken and when we can barely lift up our head, that our God intends to heal. And for this reason, you must praise God and declare his excellencies. Now then, let's go to verse 4. Here's where we find the talk of the stars and that God determines their number and names every one of them. Well, what's all that got to do with what we've been discussing? You know, I think the psalmist mentions this to show us how intimate God is with all of the creation, since he knows all details of every star. Does he not know the details of our lives? Did he not know that we needed to be brokenhearted so that we might be truly and ultimately healed? And by the way, that's exactly what Isaiah 40, verses 26 to 27 teaches. You know, that passage says, Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? And that's the issue. If God is intimately familiar with every single detail in all of the creation, and if he knows the actions and circumstances surrounding every single event in all the vastness of the galaxies, does it then make even the slightest bit of sense to you to think that he is not only acquainted, but deeply involved in your brokenness? How encouraging this is, especially when the whispers of the enemy of our souls should say, God has abandoned you. No, no, he has not. Neither has he, if you are a blood-bought child of God, given you over to your sins. No, sir. No, sir. And then we add verse 5 of Psalm 147. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Here's a praise of two attributes of God. First, there is no lack in his power. Your suffering is not due to the mistaken belief that God couldn't get around to you. I know there are those who teach that God is in process, that he's both learning and he's fighting for you, but he's limited by what he can do. But whatever God that is, that's not the God of the Bible. Abundant in power means that he has more than enough power to do what needs to be done. 
But of course, our God also has understanding beyond measure. You can't quantify that of which no human instrument of measure is sufficient. Here is wisdom unsearchable. Why then, if that's so, should I doubt the one who determines my hardship? That's why when we go to verse 6, it says, The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Have you doubted that it was always God's good intention to lift you up? Have you ever doubted that it was always God's good intention to eventually cast the wicked down to the ground? You might have noticed in your Bible reading that these two things, that is, the deliverance of the children of God and the judgment of the wicked, are often dealt with often in the same breath. And why is that? Well, the answer is that it is often the wicked that bring great harm to the people of God. You see, it often comes from their hand. We need to remember that even though it has been the will of God for a season to afflict his people, he will not leave the guilty unpunished. We come now to the second section of this psalm. It's verses 7 and 11. It says, Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. For the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. And you notice again how this section starts again with the command that we need to worship. Sing and make melody with musical instruments. And then as before, we are to remember his power in nature and from that infer his power in our own lives. So let's start at the beginning of this section. Put your praise into songs. Singing is commanded of God's people. And you'll notice that at first we were simply commanded to make a habit of praising God, and now this thought is expanded upon. And when you worship, it says, do so in music. Be a singing people accompanied by instruments. You know, I counted it up. There are more than 60 times in the Psalms where we are commanded to make our worship into singing. But it's not only found there. You know, when Israel crossed the Red Sea and found themselves on the other side, Moses wrote a song, and it begins with the words, I will sing unto the Lord. And in the First Testament, there are more than 150 references to God's people singing. It's often done with musical instruments. Psalm 33 even demands that we play our musical instruments skillfully. I mean, think for a moment how different it is to listen to a sermon as opposed to worshiping in song. You know, when a sermon is preached, we sit down and we wait and we are fed, we receive. Now, that's important. There is a time to simply be still and know that he's God and let God speak and allow our minds to contemplate Scripture and its proper application. But when we sing, we now stand up and we participate in our interaction with God. Now, here is what I think is one of the saddest things that can happen in worship. I've seen it often. People stand and watch the band and the singers sing, and they don't sing. Now, I know what some of you think, I don't sing well. But who cares? Sing, says the Scripture. Not only are you commanded to worship, you are commanded to sing. Now, in verses 8 to 11, we're told what we are to sing about. Notice, first of all, in verses 8 and 9, there are songs of God's actions in nature. 
Observe the rain and how it causes plants to grow, and how those plants grow and feed the animals. Ah, the evidence of God's care is there in nature. Sing about the Creator and sing about His care for the earth. And second, we come to verses 10 and 11. Here the theme changes from from nature to the battlefield. The idea of the horse and the legs of a man is the picture of the two divisions of an ancient army, the cavalry and the military. And here's the question. How do we know we're going to be all right? And the answer is, well, we have a strong army protecting us. In the middle of the fight, know this. Human effort is never the explanation of success and victory and protection or positive outcomes. Psalm 91 verse 11 says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Okay, what do we make of these first 11 verses of Psalm 147? Is it not this? that God has a word to those of his people who have suffered, to those who are discouraged, to those whose hearts have not felt gladness for a long time. Is it not this, that you need to combat your discouragement with a very strong weapon? It's called worship. It's called praise. It's called singing unto God. It's called singing as we remember the great truths of our God. And as you do, Notice the joy returning. Notice the passion rising up again. And notice that your hope is not diminished, for your God rules over all. Sing to the King. Be in praise of Him who rules all. John, I have a couple of, uh, a couple of questions, a couple of thoughts. I guess the one is that, you know, what you're trying to reinforce is just how important it is that we participate in corporate worship, meaning singing. You know, I, I, I know that when the middle-aged church was in its, you know, fullness, people had stopped singing in church. Um, and then the Reformation came along and singing was reintroduced to God's people. Um, and and I'm, I'm fearing that, you know, for a number of reasons, you, you watch in church nowadays and you see people, they stand, maybe they don't know the songs, maybe they're hard to sing. So I want to give all those uh, perspectives. But the, the, the lack of singing, corporate singing, is uh, startling to me. And, and I think we need to find a revival in corporate singing. And I hear what you're saying, too, is there's a twofold in respect to what our aim of worship is, one for us, one for God. I mean, yes, I mean, God wants to give to us the joy of his being. So we don't properly understand him until uh, we worship him. We don't find a light in him until we worship him. You know, so God knows we need that, and that's what we desperately need. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, To the King, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. A listener wrote, Thank you for the amazing Bible teaching. I listen daily to Back to the Bible Canada and feel blessed to have the opportunity to do so. Every message is always heartwarming. Sometimes it's difficult to understand all that goes on in our world, but our faith and the love of God is most wonderful. May God bless the ministry with great success in spreading the Word of God to all. Thank you. It's friends like you who make this Bible teaching ministry possible. 
Has your life been impacted by the Word of God in the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada? Well, with your help as a monthly partner, we can continue the calling of Bible teaching to our nation. If you'd like to join in and support the ongoing ministry of Back to the Bible Canada, Laugh Again or In Doubt, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca.